Tony Kim Intervalli. Welcome to the seventh episode of our conversation series. Today, our guest is Professor Lavinia Stan from St. Francis Xavier University in Canada. Professor Stan investigates the interaction of religion and politics in Romania, facing internal challenges and external competitions from other religions, old and new. The Orthodox Church in Romania has sought to consolidate its position and ensure Romania's version of democracy recognizes its privileged position of national church. How does church evaluate its past, especially collaboration with the communist rule? What role does nationalism play? By the end of the podcast, our listeners will have a better understanding how certain choices of religious actors have directly affected state-building and societal reconciliation efforts. So, Professor Lavinia Stan. Is a professor of political science at San Francisco Xavier University in Canada. Um, in a brief bio, after obtaining a degree from Bucharest Academy of Economic Studies, she emigrated to Canada shortly after the Romanian Revolution of 1989. Of ni- uh, 1989, yeah. She then earned PhD in political science from the University of Toronto. Professor Stan has served as an expert witness in a number of deportation and asylum cases in American courts. She has been interviewed by a number of newspapers, such as El País, Savitz, and others. Lavinia Stan's publications have dealt with three major themes, transitional justice, religion and politics, and democratization broadly conceived with a focus on post-communist Eastern Europe. She has authored and co-authored and edited numerous volumes and authored and co-authored numerous articles and published and referred major academic journals. I'm not going to be listing them. Um, So some of these articles were translated in French, Romanian, Hebrew, Spanish, Croatian, Czech, Polish, Italian, and Dutch. Her talk today, Orthodoxy, Memory, and Nationalism in Romania, some markers, shows the interplay of orthodoxy, memory, and nationalism in one post-communist country. So I hope you will enjoy this event. I'll be now moving the um, the floor to Professor Stan. Thank and you. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thank you to everybody who showed up uh, in person or uh, online. I know these are trying times for all of us. Uh, anyway, uh, when I um, um, exchanged the emails with uh, Jane about the topic of uh, today, of my talk today, uh, we agreed on orthodoxy, uh, memory, and nationalism. But um, actually, what I will talk about doesn't have that much connection with nationalism. I've done work. Uh, on uh, orthodoxy, Romanian nationalism, and we can, we can I can bring more of the case studies or the instances when the Romanian Church has um, uh, adopted a nationalist perspective uh, after after my talk um, to, to, to boost like uh, like the nationalism. Uh, element of uh, of this um, uh, event today, because I understand you have a project on uh, on um, uh, religion and nationalism. Yeah, um, I've uh, 
been um, um, doing work on the Romanian Orthodox Church, which is the majority, uh, majority church in uh, Romania, for more than 20 years. Uh, I think the main uh, book that, or the main contribution that I had was that Oxford University Press uh, uh, book, uh, um, Religion and Politics in uh, Post-Communist Romania, which focused very much on the involvement in politics of the majority church, which represents, according to their own statistics, to their own statistics, uh, around 84 to 85% of the population. But then, you know, again, this, uh, this, uh, uh, this number is, uh, um, you know, um, uh, could be discussed because not everybody is going to church regularly. So, you know, um, maybe not all of, um, of those 84% uh, of the population are, are uh, active uh, orthodox uh, believers who are really engaged with uh, with the church and with the priests yeah um but uh, at the same time yeah so uh, 20 years ago when i when i started working on uh, religion and politics i also started uh, working uh, in uh, transitional justice and both both of these topics were quite accidental to me in political science I remember the first reactions I got uh, when I was uh, going to conferences and telling people, you know, talking about religion and politics in Eastern Europe, everybody in North America was uh, say, uh, telling, um, uh, uh, saying to me, religion and politics, this is marginal to political science. You better stick to the, uh, to the government and uh, institutionalism, yeah, because that was the main uh, paradigm in in our field at the time, yeah. So, well, September 11 comes, and North America was in search of of uh, people understanding something about the connection between religion and politics. So, uh, uh, quite unexpectedly, my work gained some prominence. At the same time, transitional justice as a field evolved. Yeah, In 2000, this uh, law professor at uh, uh, New York University, Ruti Teitel, um, published a book with Ox uh, Oxford University Press um, titled uh, Transitional Justice. And what she, although there were there were um, studies before her book in decommunization or uh, a lot of literature on denazification yeah, after the Second World War. She was the first to conceptualize this new area, which is interdisciplinary um, uh, also, uh, worrying about or looking at the way in which um, uh, state actors and civil society actors in post-dictatorial and post-conflict countries uh, try to reckon with the legacies of gross human rights violations uh, perpetrated sometimes in the recent past. So I've worked for many, many years, kind of in a way schizophrenic, you could say, yeah, in two different areas that didn't intersect necessarily, yeah, religion and politics um, uh, and transitional justice. Now, in the last 10 years, kind of I brought these two areas together and I've been looking at the way in which the churches 
and especially the, orth uh, the Orthodox uh, uh, Church in Romania has tried to uh, re-evaluate its collaboration or resistance with the communist regime, yeah, and what exactly the church has done uh, to, um, to right uh, those wrongs that, uh, uh, that uh, in which she was, uh, uh, she was involved, but also uh, what kind of response or what kind of claims the Romanian Orthodox Church had um, 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 from the uh, from the Romanian post-communist uh, uh, state in terms of getting satisfaction for the um, injustices and wrongdoing that it uh, it uh, uh, suffered at the at the hand uh, of the of the communist regime. Yeah, so this. Um, turns out to be a really huge, huge topic because, um, um, you know, I'm not really interested in uh, how you define collaboration and resistance. Uh, I think historians can do it uh, much better. Uh, but if, if I'm bringing the methods from transitional justice um, into this religion and politics, orthodoxy and politics uh, field to understand um, their ways of, of reevaluating their um, uh, stance towards uh, uh, communist authorities, then I can, I have a lot to discuss, yeah. So let me go back to the basics and in a sense explain um, what exactly was the uh, position of the Romanian Orthodox Church during communist times, yeah? Because there is a huge controversy uh, related to uh, what kind of history you have there. Do you look at the church um, uh, as, uh, as an institution, and then you, you kind of uh, focus on the leadership of the church, uh, or do you look at the broader church, the leadership plus the believers, yeah? Uh, you have different pictures, yeah? Depending on the point of view you adopt, yeah? And this is why uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky type of question to, to, uh, uh, to um, uh, deal with, yeah? Now, um, communism was a self-avowed atheistic type of regime. Um, the doctrine or Marxist theory of communism, or at least the, the, the type of political system that was imposed in Romania and other uh, Central and Eastern European countries, uh, was uh, in theory atheistic. We don't really need the church. Uh, religion is the opium of the masses. Uh, you know, it's something that uh, uh, we, we are trying, we as the um, as the um, uh, communist authorities are trying to move away uh, from because, you know, religion is used to enslave the population and, uh, you know, to keep, uh, uh, to keep the um, society under the thumb of uh, these um, ecclesiastic um, hier hierarchies or leaderships uh, and uh, also the state, yeah. Um, 
the communist regime wanted to impose its own control over the population yeah after the second world war and um that uh, that also happened in uh, romania the problem was that pretty early on uh, uh during the communist uh, uh period um the authorities understood that the church was not any other social actor out there it was a very powerful social actor in romania romania was uh, still um uh, you know a um, uh, predominantly rural type of uh, peasant society um where most of the population was living in uh, villages and in the village who was the elite yeah the teacher the policeman and the priest yeah uh, and most of these priests were orthodox priests yeah so um pretty early on in the uh in uh, during the communist uh, uh, regime uh, the authorities understand that it's it is better to work uh to to collaborate with the orthodox church that uh, you know enjoyed the um uh, the allegiance of uh, so much so, such a major segment of the population rather than an antagonize the church yeah so um uh, although there were um there was persecution and there were successive ways of persecution uh directed against the um, the orthodox church um, um throughout the communist regime uh there were also uh, instances of uh collaboration with the uh, with the church as an institution and with the leaders yeah so for example um, um the red patriarch uh, uh, justian uh, justinian marina who was uh, who, who was appointed with uh, um, the approval of the communist um, authorities uh, early on in the uh, in after after the second world war was um um priest known for his uh, socialist convictions uh, uh, left wing convictions yeah he wrote this uh, pretty uh, thick uh, apostolat uh, social uh, social apostolate yeah uh, where he exposes his own um you know conception about the social role or the the political role of the of the church in the new society uh, which which converged with the um with the position of the of the communist authorities uh related to the church yeah um he was saying that uh, for example each monk and nun in uh, monasteries should uh, take on uh, uh, some useful type of uh, of activity so that the monasteries are self sufficient uh, when it comes to uh, finances and they will not be a burden on the church and on the state yeah uh, through uh, claiming subsidies but rather they will they will serve the community they will serve the nation they will serve the state they will serve the church yeah ultimately by this useful uh, um, um, uh, type of, of, of activities. Uh, 
some monasteries were uh, dismantled. Uh, the monks and nuns were sent into the world. Uh, uh, figures in the in the um, communist uh, documents. Yeah, um, some uh, um, uh, church, uh, some church buildings, um, uh, places of worship were uh, uh, taken over from the uh, from the church. Um, um, uh, religious instruction in school was discontinued. Uh, social work and charitable work by the um, Orthodox Church was again discontinued. But at the same time, yeah, um, the communist authorities by the 1950s, 1960s, they start to rely on the priests. The priests were known in the, in uh, in the villages. Yeah, they were respected in the villages. Um, people were still going. Going uh, to church, they were attending masses. They were attending. They they were baptizing uh, themselves. They went to religious marriages in the church. Yeah. So it is at the same time while you have some waves of persecution and encroaching on the activity of the church, you have this collaboration, this carrot and stick. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. So uh, the church is given. Um, uh, it is allowed to continue uh, instruction in um, uh, two higher education type of establishments to um, prepare priests. Yeah, um, some uh, religious um, uh, publications are uh, allowed to be distributed, and actually. Um, the Romanian Orthodox Church gains the ear of the communist authorities and gets more saying, you know, um, um, in some policies as opposed to religious denominations representing uh, the, um, uh, uh, the minorities. Yeah. So at the same time, yeah, uh, there was very early on before the um, uh, before the um, uh, communist authorities started to collaborate with the uh, with the um, uh, Orthodox Church, uh, there was a wave of persecution that also um, hit um, uh, or targeted uh, the um, uh, normal, uh, ordinary believers, yeah, members of the church uh, who are not uh, priests or who are not uh, um, leaders, yeah, metropolitans and bishops, and yeah, they were just uh, very religious people who wanted to continue to be religious in this uh, new um, orthodox, uh, I mean, in this new communist um, um, communist uh, regime. Uh, the problem is that uh, the um, uh, church hierarchy, the church leadership, um, at the pressure of the communist leaders, um, sometimes defrocked uh, priests who are and 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 um, dissociated itself from um, ordinary believers who are very vocal against speaking against the uh, communist regime um, criticizing the fact that uh, you know some uh, churches uh, had been and monasteries uh, had closed uh, charitable work was not there religious instructions was not there uh, had been disconnected so you have uh, again this double picture of the church under communist times yeah where it depends very much where you draw your 
your empirical uh, cases, you know, from, from the church leadership, yeah, which collaborated by and large over the years with the with the communist uh, regimes, uh, um, successive uh, leaders of the uh, uh, communist leaders in, in the country, or you base your analysis of uh, collaboration and resistance of the, of the Romanian Orthodox Church on a broader spectrum of, um, of uh, examples drawn not only from what the uh, the leadership of the church uh, has done or not done, but also from uh, what the regular priests or the regular believers, um, uh, their encounters uh, with, um, uh, with um, uh, uh, the regime. Um, you know, uh, of course, to a certain extent, you can uh, adopt like the the in-between uh, type of position, you know, and I, uh, we uh, we argued in uh, in one uh, article that, you know, maybe given the fact that the communist regime in Romania was so repressive and it was repressive even during late communism during the 1980s yeah when other countries in the region were much more relaxed yeah were not uh, involving so much uh, surveillance for example of uh, religious activity and of the general population yeah you can the 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 church could not only resist or only collaborate, yeah? But it had a policy that was designed, uh, was tailored to allow it to survive uh, during very difficult times, yeah? You can you can take this uh, uh, type of approach to, uh, to that, um, um, uh, to, to those communist times, and you can say, well, you know, maybe the best that could have been done, yeah, um, when the church encountered uh, a very repressive regime that was not uh, interested in the spirituality or uh, well-being of the population, but it was in, interested in stamming out uh, um, opposition and dissent and, uh, uh, you know, activity that uh, uh, it saw as undermining the unity of the people uh, behind the Communist Party, um, the best the, uh, the church could uh, have done was to to collaborate in some respects, but also when it had uh, the case to show these small islands of, of non-collaboration, if it's not resistance, yeah? It's non-collaboration, non, uh, not openly collaborating with the uh, communist uh, regime. The problem is that you have, uh, so Romania is, is in a way, uh, not uh, I'm not uh, claiming it's a special case because we have uh, we have uh, uh, you know somebody who knows uh, other uh, Orthodox churches in uh, uh, in communist times and maybe maybe you'll uh, you'll find uh, similarities uh, with Romania too yeah um, but there were the, the, the this carrot and stick type of policy repression destruction of religious life. Orthodox life, yeah, uh, because I'm not 
talking here uh, about the minorities, although that's a that's a discussion that uh, you know uh, um, we could have uh, we could have uh, after. Yeah, um, you have these instances of of clamping down on the activity of the church, and you have instances of liberalization of some acti uh, church activity and um, disregard, turning a, 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 a you know, uh, turning a blind eye uh, to um, uh, some instances when when the church was not really conforming with uh, uh, what the uh, the demands of the uh, of the communist regime. Um, so. After 1965, you know, after the first really um, important wave of, uh, of um, uh, repression, the uh, communist uh, regime understands that it has to collaborate. So after 1965, there were, uh, there were a number of instances when the Orthodox Church is, uh, is, uh, is co-opted into the uh, into the leadership of the country, uh, um, the um, um, Orthodox patriarch becomes uh, one of the leaders of the uh, the other <laughs> the uh, Unity Front, which was the other political formation, political party allowed to function in uh, communist Romania besides the uh, Communist Party. The Communist Party was the uh, main uh, political vehicle, um, aggregating uh, demands and, you know, uh, uh, having any input in, uh, uh, any serious input in, uh, in uh, politics during those times. But they had this smaller, much smaller uh, alternative uh, political formation, and one of the leaders was the uh, the Orthodox patriarch. Yeah, um, several um, um, priests are uh, involved in um, 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 brought closer to the state uh, uh, secretariat for religious affairs, which is uh, the state agency that was monitoring the activity of all religious denominations in the country. Yeah, so you see uh, this privileged, uh, although uh, albeit very limited, yeah, uh, in scope, but privileged uh, position of the uh, Orthodox uh, Church uh, uh, in um, um, uh, in comparison with uh, other uh, religious denominations. But repression continues in the sense you can say that to a certain extent, the communist uh, authorities wanted to drive the point regularly, yeah, uh, to, for the benefit of the uh, Romanian Orthodox Church, that we are in control. This is not a marriage, you know. This is not uh, um, a marriage between the church and the state, where the uh, where they are equal. You know, we are in control, and when we will allow you to do stuff yeah and uh, to have activities only when we consider it opportune and only to the degree that we uh, uh, we can tolerate such uh, activity yeah so this repression again 
towards uh, late uh, communism, you see another wave when uh, churches are demolished or uh, Ceausescu had this megalomaniac um, uh, uh, construction um, um, uh, projects. Yeah, uh, he built uh, the second largest uh, building in, uh, in the world. Yeah, House of the People. Yeah, this huge huge building that uh, cost a lot uh, in terms of uh, of uh, finances but all, also uh, human effort um uh, he he moved um he moved some uh, some uh, historical churches uh, from their initial uh, sites to um, um, other sites uh, hiding them behind uh, communist uh, apartment blocks yeah in his uh, this uh, grandiose plan of systematizing and changing the face of Bucharest and uh, of some of the other uh, major uh, cities. He had also the village systematization, which, uh, which was uh, another curious mega project. Yeah, when uh, he was, he was, he believed that um, the good life yeah uh, under communism and of course communism had to to, to show the people that uh, they were uh, living a better life uh, than what was before yeah the good life is a life lived in an apartment yeah so uh, um, he raised uh, to the ground some uh, villages in uh, most of them in Transylvania and moved uh, the peasants uh, forcibly yeah into these uh, two or three apartment blocks at the outskirts of uh, um, various cities because he really believed that urbanization and this this was his solution to the urbanization need of uh, of uh, of the country was a better um, uh, kind of life that would have even visually um, shown the people uh, uh, the accomplishments of the communist regime anyway so um you have this mixed um, mixed uh, record of the orthodox church with um, um, instances of collaboration uh, instances of resistance uh, especially a number of priests and monks who were very very vocal um, um, criticizing the regime of father Gheorghe Calciu Dumitrasa for example um, is uh, one of the shining example in the 1970s in the 1980s, uh, uh, he organized uh, these uh, um, um, sermons with uh, young people. Yeah, and he was very popular among young people who were coming to his sermons. And in those sermons, he at one point started to criticize the communist regime for for mis uh, for misguiding. Uh, the population for not really turning the young people towards spirituality and he was understanding spirituality you know he was saying well it's good to be spiritual because you know you don't steal for example the church can and the the uh, the um, uh, religious writings um, um, teach you a lot of good stuff that was was forgotten by the communist regime uh, if you if you really do stuff because the communists are obliging you yeah or you know of, of out of fear because there is this surveillance um, network in the country and you want to obey so that you don't get into trouble um you don't you don't really 
serve the community and you don't really serve yourself. Uh, yeah. So he was saying, let's go back and read the uh, religious texts and see how they how they tell you, you know, don't steal, don't do this, don't lie, don't. All these are very. All these precepts are. All these, uh, you know, uh, teachings are very, very good in your normal, normal life. Yeah. So go home and apply all this knowledge that you hear here in my ser sermons in your in your life. Calcio uh, Dumitrasa um, was defrocked. It was a huge scandal in the church at the time. And in the 1980s, he's defrocked by the uh, by the church leadership for his courage to um, uh, to, to say all all these things that that were interpreted as going directly against. Uh, communist uh, uh, communist teachings and what was what was taught in in schools. Yeah, um, um, don't obey the regime, but look for sources of inspiration in other texts and in other areas of life, and more uh, more uh, especially in uh, in religion. Yeah. So uh, 1989 comes, uh, in December there is this revolution, it's, uh, some people call it revolution, in the sense that it was a revolution, but also an, uh, you know, a coup d'etat um, staged by the second echelon of the Communist Party, which uh, takes over from the first echelon of the Communist Party, which was formed by the Ceausescu family. Yeah, And we all know what happened. Uh, Ceausescu and his wife are tried in this show uh, trial uh, with uh, infringing on any legal precept uh, you can think of. Uh, they are shot. Uh, and the country declares itself uh, a new democracy, or at least not not communist uh, any, uh, anymore. Yeah. Well, in the in all that discussion about what what kind of new Romania uh, people um, wanted to have, there was uh, uh, you know one um, uh, very significant uh, element of the discussion uh, pertained to what all of us have done to support or to undermine the communist regime. How much guilt yeah, is associated with us, all of us, uh, for our actions, our daily lives, and our daily compromises, and our, uh, but then it's not only about people, it's also about institutions. And part of the discussion, yeah, uh, quite prominent at the time, uh, revolved around the majority church, which was so important uh, for so many people, yeah. Um, with a lot of intellectuals and a lot of uh, members of the new parties, uh, political parties that were allowed to, uh, to register uh, immediately after the revolution, starting to raise the question, what did you do? How do you um, reckon? How do, do you assume your mistakes on the, uh, 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 during the communist regime? Or should we, you know, should we just, ignore these questions, yeah. Uh, and interestingly, yeah, um, 
the the conversation uh, um, became so uh, vivid and intense that patriarch Theoctist, very early after uh, after the regime change, announces yeah uh, that he is withdrawing from the seat and he goes to the monastery. Uh, in recognition of the fact that as uh, the synod the synod is the um, the collective leadership of the Romanian Orthodox uh, Church yeah so it's patriarch the patriarch plus some other people yeah on 10th of January 1990 so very early after December 1989 um, the synod um, releases this um, uh, this uh, statement saying uh, we apologize uh, for those who lacked the courage of the martyrs and for paying the tribute of obligatory and artificial praises addressed to the dictator. Um, that's uh, pretty much in um, uh, response to the fact that um, some journalists and intellectuals um, discovered or found that uh, even during the um, days of the revolution, um, some of the members of the Orthodox leadership were uh, sending uh, letters of praise to the dictator when it was very clear that that dictator, the leader of the country, was killing people, or at least in, his, in the name of his regime, yeah, people were dying in the streets. Yeah, um, Theoctist, um, uh, patriarch Theoctist, on eighteenth uh, of January resigns from this uh, position and he withdraws uh, to a mon monastery to reflect on the on the collaboration and on the mistakes that the Orthodox Church uh, has made during communism. This is unprecedented, as far as I know, among Orthodox uh, countries uh, and Orthodox leaders in, uh, uh, in uh, the post-communist uh, space, yeah? But this um, atonement or uh, the feelings of repentance don't last long. In the, in the case of Theoctist, uh, three months later, after some reflection and with the, um, uh, the request of the Synod, again, um, he returns and says, uh, we've studied canon law, and it turns out that uh, you cannot really renounce uh, the position of a, pa a patriarch uh, for any reason, for that matter. You know, you have to die pretty much or uh, there have be uh, there needs there's need, there needs to be some other type of uh, mechanism and process that would replace you so my my uh, atonement my uh, stepping back and going to the monastery was not quite right uh, from um, from the point of view of uh, canonic law so i have to uh, i have to return so that i do not create a precedent that later can be used by other and misused by other orthodox leaders um, um you know and would expose them to the pressure of the society to simply step back yeah um except for that first move this this move of of patriarch theoctist um decision to step back you have very little evidence 
coming from the leadership of the church. And when I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not talking only about the synod, I'm talking also about the, the, to the level of the priest, yeah? Um, that there was any serious discussion about the need to reckon, to admit to the past, yeah? To admit that some, some mistakes were made, for example, defrocking of outspoken priests, yeah? Uh, orthodox turning against other orthodox at the pressure of the communist regime, yeah? Um, there, there's very little uh, evidence. Um, there, there have been strong suspicions that the state secretariat for religious affairs, um, when it monitored under communism the activity of the churches, it infiltrated the churches with secret informers. Um, this surveillance, yeah, collection of information um, done in a secret way uh, is standard in almost all post-communist, I mean, former communist countries, yeah. And in Romania was carried out um, um, in partnership with the Securitate. Securitate, um, like Sigurimi in Albania, STV in, uh, in Czechoslovakia, Slujba Biespiecenzba in Poland, and KGB in, uh, in the uh, uh, former Soviet Union. Uh, all of these were state agencies that were monopolistic in the sense that if in uh, democracies you have intelligence services, yeah, collection of information is divided among uh, numerous um, uh, agencies, yeah, some uh, involved in domestic uh, affairs, some of them involved in uh, foreign espionage, some of them involved in military uh, intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. In communist times, all of these were under the umbrella of one state agency, yeah? And surveillance was like in the lives of others in the movie, yeah? Um, they were deploying pretty much if, if you became a target, um, if they became interested in you and your opinions because maybe you were, um, you know, involved in uh, uh, dissidence and opposition, or you were uh, distributing uh, uh, pamphlets uh, critical of the regime, then they were using the uh, full-time uh, military agents, officers, yeah, um, and also the secret informers. And the secret informers were drawn from uh, within your family, your neighbors, your uh, workmates, uh, um, and there were very strong suspicions that some priests, yeah, had um, um, uh, reported information obtained through confession, yeah, and there is the secret of the confessional, yeah. Um, they were, people were coming to them, telling them their sorrows or difficulties, and the priest then was reporting, taking that information and reporting it uh, either to the, uh, to, um, to the Securitate um, uh, or the State um, uh, Secretariat of Religious Affairs, uh, which was in charge of monitoring religious life in the in the country. Um, we do have um, the testimonial of a Securitate agent 
in working in Timisoara. Timisoara is uh, uh, Western Romania, the westernmost uh, uh, big city in Romania. Uh, he was um, uh, a Securitate officer um, working in the state secretariat for religious affairs at the level of Timisoara County. Yeah. And this guy in late 1990s comes out and says, actually, I was the one in Timisoara County responsible for recruiting um, religious actors, religious uh, uh, priests or faithful, yeah, into these secret networks. Yeah, uh, that were used to collect information uh, um, to make sure that we knew if, in case dissidents or in case opposition was there brewing in the in the population or in the church, we we had to know about it. Yeah, and um, uh, this particular securitate former securitate officer says ninety percent of the Timisoara County priests were working for us, were under um, um, these um, uh, pledges, secret pledges, to provide secret information to us, um, information obtained through confessional, uh, but, but also uh, information they, they picked up in their regular um, conversations with, uh, with others in the community. Yeah? Now, there has been a lot of speculation whether 90% is, is plausible, is because uh, uh, we don't have any other independent yeah, um, um, testimonial yeah, that would corroborate this kind of uh, high percentage. Um, in any case, the, even the, the secret archive ex, uh, that we inherited uh, from the Securitate uh, and is housed with the National Council for the uh, uh, Securitate Archive, um, points to the, uh, 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 to the fact that there were um, not only uh, high leaders of the Orthodox Church, metropolitans, bishops, arch, uh, archbishops, yeah, who were uh, delivering information, but they were collaborating in other ways with the Securitate and the uh, uh, the communist regime. Um, but um, uh, you know, there were even priests and faithful who were engaged in this in this double life. Yeah. Anyway. Um, A lot of, uh, uh, since 1990, so uh, during 30 years of, uh, of post-communism, we have only one shining example of, uh, of an Orthodox leader who came out publicly and confessed, yeah? But in, he, he's saying only about his own situation. He didn't comment on collaboration or resistance of the church as an institution. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, He encouraged other priests and leaders to come out and to confess about their own secret uh, activity with the Securitate, uh, but none of them 
did it. Uh, uh, there were some cases of, uh, of um, um, uh, metropolitan and one bishop in uh, Transylvania who wrote uh, who wrote memoirs, yeah, uh, of their lives, and they obliquely confess to collaboration, but they don't 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 give us the the, the details of what they've done. Um, and also they try immediately in the books, they try to justify, yeah, uh, saying I couldn't have acted uh, some other way. I, I could, I didn't have the courage or the situation was such that if I was opposing them, yeah, or if I refused them, I would have lost my, uh, my um, um, uh, position, yeah. Um, Metropolitan Nicolae Cornanu of Timisoara, <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, uh, who, uh, by according to testimonials uh, uh, of the local people, of the people he defrocked, uh, but also of uh, historians who went to the archives and uh, or engaged in oral history type of projects who was the worst of the worst. He was not a benevolent informer or collaborator. He was uh, 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 like a dog, um, you know, unleashed to, to, to crush the opponents of the, of the communist regime. Yeah? He was really, really uh, uh, forceful in how he hunted down uh, dissidents uh, in in his in his diocese there uh, um, uh, in his um, um, locality there uh, he came out and he confessed and guess what uh, you know he is like uh, treated as a hero uh, for for his courage for for uh, having the courage to accept and to admit what he did but other than that pretty much there is a lot of silence in the church when it comes to this reckoning with the with its own mistakes in the uh, during communist times actually you know the the um, uh, orthodox church um, um, when the, the the other way, in a way, uh, trying to uh, to justify all of its collaboration, trying to to, to shift the blame of, um, away from uh, from it. Well, in two thousand and six, uh, um, Romania becomes uh, one of the countries in uh, uh, post-communist Central and Eastern Europe that uh, set up. Um, History Commission uh, with the a presidential history commission with the task of investigating the uh, repression um, and the uh, various uh, types uh, and the numbers. It was uh, supposed to come with the numbers of uh, of victims of uh, communist repression yeah, uh, from 1945 to 1989. Uh, this uh, history commission is not a truth commission because it did not uh, engage in any kind of um, um, collecting testimonials from victims and or victimizers like the South African uh, truth commission or the uh, commission in uh, in Canada, for example. Yeah, um, but it was a history commission uh, which had six months 
at its disposal uh, just in 2006, months before Romania was supposed to be accepted 1st of January 2007 as a member of the uh, European Union. So the discussion in the country and uh, among uh, some very influential uh, uh, intellectuals in uh, Bucharest was if we are to take stock of what the heck happened under communism, you know, it's like up to now, uh, it's we had communism and we had repression, but we we don't have any victims and uh, any victimizers. Yeah, we do have to illuminate this this dark period in our history. So now it's the time. Yeah. So um, um, uh, President Trump Basescu accepts and sets up this um, uh, history commission with Professor Vladimir Tismananu from um, uh, Maryland University in the US yeah, as the chair to produce a final report yeah, so that Trajan Basescu as the president can officially condemn the communist regime in Romania as a repressive uh, regime responsible for human rights violations. Yeah. Um, the um, uh, 600 plus page uh, final report of the uh, Tismananu, the so-called Tismananu uh, Commission, um, touched on various aspects of life uh, under communism. It was based on um, um, already written secondary type of, uh, of sources of information, but also uh, information drawn from various archives that up to then had not been fully opened for the researchers and the historians. Um, archives uh, such as the, um, the one of the Romanian Communist Party and also archives of the Securitate, yeah. Uh, much more than the National Council for the Securitate the archive uh, had at its disposal. So pretty much the, the History Commission was a bunch of historians, most of them, but also um, people uh, well-regarded with uh, a lot of credibility and legitimacy among uh, intellectuals and uh, people representing the former um, associations of former victims of uh, communist times. They come together and within six months, they produce this this final report, which is a, an imperfect type of history uh, book, if you think about it, uh, a very partial um, uh, type of uh, history book that is focused on communism as a repressive type of regime um, and trying to identify the various uh, categories of uh, human rights violations and the uh, various categories of victims and the various categories of of victimizers. Whether uh, the final report captures the entire range of resistance and collaboration uh, on the communist sides, I don't think so. Yeah, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, given the fact that this was. Uh, they had only six months of their uh, uh, disposal. It was. It was a. Uh, political statement more than a historical type of production yeah their their uh, final as as the uh, their final goal as the goal of any other 
Truth and History Commission uh, uh, constituted as a method of reckoning with the past, as a transitional justice method, is not to produce a history book. It's to produce a political statement that can be used then for political purposes. And what are those political purposes? Well, um, to boost the legitimacy of the president who created the commission, yeah, and to undermine the legitimacy and credibility of the opposition. All history and truth commissions have these political byproducts attached to them. They are political instruments and they produce a political kind of truth. Yeah, they are not producing history, uh, historical truth. They are not into uh, accuracy. They are more into delivering now this partial, yeah, you can say even self-serving type of truth that can be used now and that can be heard now by the victims and the victimizers to give them satisfaction or to, 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 to uh, put fuel under the chair to, to, to initiate, to lead to the initiation of other um, efforts or methods of reckoning with the past. Yeah. Um, I've I've written. I know Tismanano uh, personally. You know, it's. Uh, 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 I've worked with him. Uh, we've been together on the uh, scientific council of the uh, Institute for the investigation of communist, uh, whatever, uh, communist regime in Romania, something like this, another transitional justice institution, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I've written about the, the final report uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm maintaining my position. Uh, it's a partial, it's a partial final report as any other final report uh, is. Um, they could have done a better job. Uh, they even uh, included, uh, they had mistakes in the final report. Uh, the final report was an, was a, uh, an official document. So it's a it becomes a little bit tricky yeah, uh, when you say, well, I have this copy editing to, to do to the final report, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of withdrawing it for one day to change some of the information out of it. And, uh, you know, then it's official again, you know, you, you don't, uh, because it's political, you, you cannot do what the regular historians uh, do. Yeah, you cannot amend it or uh, without having a discussion about it. Yeah. In any case, uh, a chapter in the final report dealt with um, with uh, persecution of um, uh, religious uh, denominations and the collaboration of churches and religious groups um, with the uh, communist uh, communist authorities. Yeah, and a lot of of that text had to do with the majority church, uh, the Orthodox, because they are they were so powerful, yeah, and so I mean uh, so significant compared to uh, to the others, yeah. Um, 
So the section on uh, communist regime and religious denominations um, uh, mentioned uh, uh, the law that brought uh, the church under the thumb of communist authorities, the church's lack of concerted opposition to the regime, in contrast, uh, for example, to the Greek Catholic uh, Church, which uh, um, uh, was uh, dismantled by the communists in 1948. Its properties and its churches were forcibly transferred uh, to the Orthodox Church. Sometimes not the deed. The deed remained with, with the state or with the Roman Catholics, but the use of the uh, place of worship was given to the Orthodox. Yeah? Um, when when uh, uh, um, uh, the communist regime uh, um, decided that the Greek Catholics had no place in communist Romania, uh, because uh, of course uh, uh, the communist authorities reneged on the on the concordat with uh, with the Vatican. Yeah, the Vatican as being located outside of the communist space was really difficult to control. Yeah, so uh, much much easier was to control a uh, um, uh, uh, religious denomination whose leadership was in the country yeah, and dependent on the on the communist authorities so of course the roman catholic church and all the orders and all yeah out of the window and this the greek catholic church which was um, uh, uh, constituted in uh, immediately after uh, 1700s uh, in uh, not only in romania but also in uh, ukraine uh, and um, um, uh, as a blend uh, theologically, doctrinally, yeah, it's a blend between um, uh, Ro Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy, uh, with uh, some elements taken from one and not the other. Uh, the Orthodox, for example, but we have theologians uh, here, and you can contradict me, yeah. Um, I think the Orthodox believe uh, the difference between Rom Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy. Yeah? Uh, the Orthodox uh, do not uh, believe that the Pope is the leader of the church. The, uh, the leadership of the church is collective. Yeah, uh, uh, The Pope is a very nice guy uh, somewhere there, uh, quite remotely yeah, uh, from the from Eastern Europe where your, your faithful are. But also in... Uh, um, um, uh, you have uh, differences in uh, how the mass is conducted. Yeah, uh, you have e uh, differences in how the uh, church is built. Yeah, you have this iconostasis in uh, Orthodox uh, uh, churches. The altar is completely, uh, completely separated from the uh, from the body of the church where the uh, faithful are uh, located. Yeah, and you cannot uh, go there. Yeah, the priests also are married in uh, Orthodoxy, but uh, not in uh, Roman Catholicism. Uh, but also, uh, if I uh, uh, remember correctly, uh, the Trinity is seen differently, yeah, in the sense that, uh, and, and I know this from a, uh, from an Orthodox the theologian, so you might want to contradict me here. Uh, the Orthodox see the Trinity as, as more egalitarian in the fact that all, uh, uh, in the sense that all three members of the Trinity are kind of, of equal importance, 
uh, although the Holy Spirit proceeds, I'm told I'm told that this is the only word you should uh, um, you should uh, use. Proceeds from the Father, yeah. Um, but also you have the differences in filioque, yeah, um, the relationship between the Father and the Son, yeah. And I, I'm not I'm not going further here because I'm not on my on on uh, a firm territory for me yeah but uh, there are uh, significant differences filioque this doctrinal uh, principle uh, that uh, is uh, uh, part of of the roman catholic church was imported uh, you you can see it in in Greek Catholic uh, dogma as well, yeah. So if I understand correctly, the Greek Catholics were dogmatically closer to the uh, to the Roman Catholics, but in terms of the ritual, in terms of how they were they were uh, conducting masses, they were uh, they they had very significant. Um, uh, Orthodox elements with whom the villages, for example, in Transylvania, could identify. Um, when uh, before the Greek Catholic Church was dismantled by the communist regime, um, the um, uh, they, the leadership of the church was invited to convert to Orthodoxy, yeah? and all of them but one refused. They um, uh, were ready, and, and a lot of them were imprisoned as a result because they were courageous and stubborn enough yeah, to, to continue to identify themselves as Greek Catholics. So um, this comparison between the, orth the, the way the Orthodox Church uh, related itself to, uh, to the communist uh, regime and the Greek Catholics did yeah, um, uh, in response to, uh, to communist um, uh, demands, uh, was a, a very sore uh, point uh, for the Orthodox because whenever they were saying we couldn't do better, you know, there was there was uh, there was so much repression, and uh, you know that you could not act in any other way but the way we acted. Uh, people, intellectuals, and and others were saying, "Yeah, but just take a look at the uh, Greek Catholics. Yeah, how come that they could do it, and you did not have the courage to do it?" So, um, okay. So um, the Tisman Annual Report uh, uh, includes these uh, these sections on uh, on the um, uh, on religious uh, denominations and especially uh, includes remarks to the effect that the uh, Orthodox Church did not do enough that it was um, um, responsible or um, uh, its, its uh, relationship with the communist regime should be seen more one of, of acquiescence of collaboration uh, more than one of resistance uh, and outright opposition, yeah. Well, interestingly enough, the response, the, 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 the response of the uh, Orthodox Church was not you know, let me amend uh, your conclusion and, you know, no, it was a full-fledged counter-report, yeah, whitewashing pretty much all the instances 
of collaboration mentioned in the uh, in the final report of the Tisbanano um, Commission. So, to a certain extent, it was another missed opportunity by the leadership of the uh, Orthodox Church to to admit that reality is not only 100% of resistance and 100% all the actions of all the leaders during communist times yeah were uh, serving the church and trying to prevent um, uh, the obliteration of the church, but there were quite a number of instances when the leaders of the church, for personal reasons, sometimes very materialistic personal reasons, yeah, uh, they had collaborated with uh, with the um, uh, communist leadership. Anyway, that's a very interesting. The counter report, yeah, it's uh, a very interesting um, uh, type of uh, example of. Uh, of um, um, anti-transitional justice um, uh, in among uh, religious denominations in uh, post-communist uh, countries. Yeah, um, I know that, for example, in Poland, the Roman Catholic Church, um, some, not not all of them, but some of them met in the early 2000s, and they came up with with a document detailing this blend of, of collaboration and resistance during communist times in a way officially assuming some of the mistakes that were made. And one, two minutes to show my um, uh, another case that I find very interesting in transitional justice, um, we uh, we tend to have um, we tend to focus a lot on what the state does, yeah, in terms of reckoning with the legacy of gross human rights abuses in the recent past. Yeah, that's the definition of transitional justice. Um, on the idea that the state did it, the state has to reckon with it. The state has to write it. Yeah. So if you have uh, a communist regime uh, where people uh, were imprisoned, uh, persecuted, uh, killed, uh, exiled, uh, um, deprived of their, um, um, you know, property, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then the state, yeah, has to give back or to undo all these human rights abuses. Yeah, but with the with the um, um, in, in the field of transitional justice, very little attention has been given to social, uh, to civil society actors, to non-state actors, yeah, to some of them like the, the churches, yeah. Um, and then uh, you also have, because of this uh, focus on the government and the state, uh, we tend to look at transitional reckoning methods that that activate the state, meaning court trials um, um, against former uh, former torturers, uh, as uh, Samuel Huntington uh, says, or uh, compensation packages uh, given by the state to former victims, or uh, property restitution from the state to the 
to the ethnic and religious uh, minorities and majorities, yeah? Um, but there are a lot of non-judicial um, methods of transitional justice, of reckoning, methods that uh, do, do not activate the state necessarily, do not uh, can be can be championed by non-state actors. Yeah, this this is a, how to say this is a framework of analysis coming from political science because we are so concerned with the state. Yeah, this this is our limitation in a in a way. Yeah, in political science you cannot go that much further from the state. Even if, when you are looking at the society, you have to stay. You have to have the state in uh, in uh, uh, in uh, mind. Yeah. This is our perspective. Uh, there's no way we we can but di diverge from it uh, that much. But what I want to say is that besides court trials, besides compensation, besides lustration, be, uh, which are decided by the courts, besides property restitution, again, decided by the courts, there is a lot of stuff that can be done by non-state actors, by civil society actors, yeah? Uh, and some of these uh, 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 symbolic reckoning methods, you can see them very clearly um, uh, sometimes in uh, post-dictatorial and post-conflict situations. The first thing after uh, the collapse of the communist regime um, in, in that part of the world, what was the, the first thing you saw on TV? Knocking down statues, correct? Knocking down statues, statues of Stalin, Lenin, Ceausescu, you know, other strongmen, yeah, uh, during, uh, during those times, that's a method of transitional justice. That's a method of rectifying the past, yeah, the recent past. That's a method, it's symbolic. You don't get that much out of it, but it's very, these this sim, uh, symbols, the, the way you change the discourse and the and the public space and you populate it you depopulate it with symbols representing the dictatorship or the conflict and you populate it with other symbols uh, representing um, a democracy or whatever you know history or whatever you know inclusiveness tolerance etc cetera, etc cetera. that's a method of transitional justice that's in in to a certain extent um, um, is uh, uh, able to, to do this reckoning, yeah? Uh, and another, um, another way of uh, reckoning with uh, the past symbolically is by um, um, raising awareness about the past and about past mistakes, yeah? Uh, in conferences, through museums, through exhibitions, sometimes through, you know, different... Um, uh, exhibitions of photography or whatever, you know. Here, you have a situation where the church involved itself in a symbolic transitional justice type of reckoning, yeah. In 2017, uh, the Romanian Orthodox Church de uh, declared the year as the year of the defenders of orthodoxy during communist times. That's the official thing. And in 2017 was, so 10 years after the counter report that tried to, to contradict the 
the Tismaneno uh, conclusions, um, the Romanian Orthodox uh, Church says we will have a series of events organized in every parish, every every bishopric, see and metropolitanate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, throughout the country. Yeah, uh, with conferences, with uh, interviews, with uh, roundtables, uh, with um, uh, pamphlets uh, distributed to the to the faithful to set the record straight and the record that we want to put forth the the story, the narrative we want to put forth with respect to our position to communist times is that the church resisted communism is that we have a, not one not two but we have hundreds of examples of priests monks and nuns who had the courage to openly oppose the communist regime so then you have these posters that were produced as part of 2000 and, of the uh, 2017 campaign when I'm saying it was a campaign, it was a campaign. In some villages, it was the first time when the priest and the teacher and whoever was the, the mayor were organizing conferences to tell anything to the, to the local population, you know? So uh, they, they wanted to have the rich, the, the church wanted to, um, to reach every Romanian, yeah? With this story, with this narrative that look at our, uh, our victims. We have victims within the church. We have victims among the faithful and the clergy. And this is what we should remember uh, this is our memory when it comes to communist times. The first poster, they, I don't know if, uh, you know, people see it, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, um, this is the first poster that was distributed uh, uh, together with Lumina. Lumina is the official um, um, uh, weekly uh, of the Romanian Orthodox Church and is distributed to every parish, every priest, gets uh, every week the Lumina Weekly, which is produced by Bucharest and includes a lot of information uh, um, about the church, about from the from the central leadership, but also you know uh, more social uh, social type of uh, information. And included in the Lumina was this poster announcing the fact that 2017 was the official year of the defendants of orthodoxy during communist times. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with this poster is that in the center, you have Justinian Marina, the so-called red patriarch, yeah, um, who got his nomination as a patriarch because of communist support and who uh, was responsible for the for many of the compromises that the uh, Orthodox Church uh, made with the communist authorities, including defrocking some of the outspoken priests who took a stand against the communist regime. Some of them features featured here 
in smaller photos. Yeah. So uh, on one page, pretty much you have the victims of communist regimes, but they are also victims of the church <laughs> under the leadership of this guy. Yeah. Um, and um, because of the outcry, uh, a lot of people were were had a lot of problems with this poster and they said this is not this does not sit right with us because the little guys who you can barely see the faces here they died some of them died in prison yeah in horrible horrible conditions and they were in isolation in communist prisons for years and years and years you know and they were delivered to the communist authorities by the guy who takes most of the space in the poster so this is not right and then the church produced another poster yeah uh kind of um uh, driving the argument that all of these people because they they uh, stood true to their uh faith they were defenders of jesus they were serving jesus or they were they had jesus as their leader not justinian marina as the leader you know so this this is interesting for me um as a transitional justice scholar because uh, uh because it shows you that um, it's not only the state but but um uh, civil society actors uh, uh have some scope for action when it comes to reckoning and also sometimes uh symbolic symbolic methods of reckoning are very powerful or they they raise awareness or they have penetrated they are they are uh known by many more people than i don't know the lustration law in bucharest was never really implemented there you know and it's also interesting uh this topic is interesting uh for me as a, a religion and politics scholar because this the past and the memory of the past is not really, at least in political science, when we are looking at religion and politics, we are looking at current events. Yeah, what do you do with the state? And, you know, which, what's your relationship with the state, whether you are the church, state, national, whether you get funding from the state, in which conditions, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't really uh, look at uh, what, uh, um, what the, how the churches remember the past and their own past. Um, because we're having this uh, hybrid event, we will have questions from the audience here who are in, in, in London. Then there are a few questions in, um, in the chat. So we'll be repeating the questions from the audience in order the people in the Zoom to, to hear. So questions from here. Yeah, Jane. Thank you, Elena, for a um, fascinating and very engaging um, uh, lecture. Uh, I was just struck by uh, uh, the figure Justin, um, Justinian Marina and uh, something which you, I, you wrote on the slide but you didn't really elaborate very, very much um, on it, namely on his, his uh, uh, attempt to, 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 um, uh, to, to use, as you wrote, Marxism um, mm -hmm. 
in apostolat social in the big books so what comes to mind is a theologian trained in the west is, is why you come to think about liberation theology mm -hmm. in the, in, the uh, in, in latin america at almost the same time but where Marxism and christianity were used for quite the uh, opposite purposes mm -hmm. because they were used in anti-authoritarian and anti-statist and anti-regime mm -hmm. uh, ways um uh, and that in itself is quite fascinating because uh, I presume this was a very different form of Marxism, which was used for very different purposes. But had a, there have been studies, reflections on, on, on the statistics, it's almost the same period. In, in yeah, uh, not that I know of. Uh, I remember when we uh, wrote uh, about Apostolate Social, not many people outside of the church know, you know, or read. Uh, and I was lucky in a sense that uh, I was doing this uh, uh, this work on religion and politics with a theologian, yeah, who was, uh, uh, but, but political scientists don't know uh, Apostolate Social, yeah? Uh, as far as I know, there are no, there is no significant or detailed analysis what is how how much Marxism is, and what type of Marxism is in Apostolate Social, let alone any comparison with liberation the theology? Yeah, well, we were the first in uh, in that uh, article uh, written in um, 2000. We were the first to mention Apostolate Social, and uh, literally one paragraph. I think we continue to be the the only ones to to mention this thing. I've never seen anything significant. Thank you very much. The The question was about liberation uh, theology, no. please. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for many, many interesting uh, aspects that I would love to continue with. But I'm uh, in ethics, and I am then interested in this concept uh, of transitional justice. Mm -hmm. Because coming from ethics within religious studies and theology, I have come close to uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, where you have concepts of justice, which I think is a bit different from this concept of transitional justice, uh, where they would use uh, concepts of reparative justice and restorative yeah. justice. And I wonder now, since this is very interesting, I think the concept of transitional justice, uh, both because you, you emphasize the action of the state or the power of the state in that uh, in that um, process uh, and also and i wonder whether that might be of course the state is also part of those other reconciliation processes or restorative justices processes but still i wonder whether this might be a, a difference and the second thing would be the meaning of these symbolic actions whether one really you know get around with or get away maybe is the better word with certain aspects, with, which I hear you say, which you wouldn't get away with within a, a report, uh, reparative justice process. Mm -hmm. I, I'm saying that not with, you know, I, not with the intention to idealize those processes, but I, I'm interested in hearing your comments on. In case you haven't heard, uh, for, for the listeners, the question is a kind of conceptual difference between uh, reparative justice, restorative justice, and the transitional justice, the concept that Professor Stan used today and also about the meaning of symbolic actions. So, yeah. Um, I'm also the editor of the Encyclopedia of Transition Justice. Uh, and we just sent the second edition 
of the encyclopedia at uh, Cambridge University Press is uh, publishing it for us. Um, and uh, it tries, uh, it, it's the, um, it's the most important reference tool we have in the in the field, yeah? And it tries to define what the heck we are talking about, you know? Because we, we have our own things and... Um, but I would say this, transitional justice is encompassing everything. It can be restorative, it can be retributive, punishing yeah. it can be um forgiveness yeah like in amnesties which are legal forgiveness for your or it it can it can be as punitive or as tolerant and inclusive as it is good for your own situation in your country or in your community. And it's not, we see all these as facets to the same process, yeah? Which is not transitional and is not only justice. And it becomes even more confusing if, uh, if I start, uh, you know, clarifying this term. Because it's, you know, transitional justice uh, as, Ruti title theorizes it is the type of justice you get in a period of political transition that follows a regime change, a change from one regime to the other. Let's say from a dictatorship to a non-dictatorship, you, you could call it incipient democracy, you could call it hybrid regime because we have those discussions. You could call it maybe a future democracy or whatever, but, or you, uh, and, and from conflict to peace, yeah? So you have a, a, a initial point where your past is ended. And there is something else, some kind of other political regime that is more open to admit to the recent mistakes, human rights violations as uh, stipulated or as identified in, uh, in uh, international instruments, not necessarily the, the national uh, uh, law because uh, dictators uh, cover their tracks, yeah? <laughs> so during those that transition period, Ruti Title was saying, look at the courts. They, they do what normal courts in normal days, times do. Uh, rapes, traffic violations, uh, theft of property, et cetera, et cetera. Correct? This is what the courts do. Yeah? But in transition times, yeah, uh, you have other cases. And these cases are trying to reckon or to, to, to stop the legacy, to erase the legacy of the gross human rights violations that just happened in your country in the recent past. How recent is this recent? Because we are starting with the, with the Second World War. Some of us are looking at the Armenian genocide. 
So it's 100 years, you know. But usually, you know, uh, he, today we are looking at communism or we are looking at uh, uh, military juntas in uh, Latin America or we are looking at the apartheid regime or we are looking at the genocide in Rwanda, Cambodia, et cetera, et cetera. Or we are looking at denazification in uh, Western Europe after the Second World War or debatification in Iraq. Yeah, so kind of it's debatable. And also justice is not only, it's not the only stuff or goal that we have in mind because equally important is truth, reconciliation and guarantees of non-repetability, yeah? Um, justice, if you, if you think about it, justice can be obtained only through the courts. You have a court trial that will oblige, because otherwise they don't, they don't do it uh, voluntarily. It will oblige the victimizers to assume responsibility for what they did. Yeah. But we it's and it's it's retributive in the sense that it's a punishment. Yeah. But many times, yeah, we are looking at amnesties. Amnesties is absolution, legal absolution. I'm not dragging you into the court because I know that you might be such a bad boy, yeah, that you have, still you have your guns with you. And like in uh, Latin American countries, almost all of them had amnesties. This forgiveness, which is a, which is a religious um, draws on religion, if you think about it, you know, or at least it can draw on religion and can be used as a method of reckoning with the past. The transitional justice doesn't mean that I necessarily punish you. I might get along with you. I might want to reintegrate you into the community uh, because if I don't do that, I might be for a very nasty surprise. Yeah, like what we did, I'm not proud to say, but uh, because I, I, I've been in transitional justice for so many years now, yeah, uh, and I've been involved with North Korea, the Arab Spring countries, uh, Iraq, yeah, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, I, uh, in Iraq, for example, uh, we advised the, the American, uh, Americans what to do. No, whether is lustration good? I remember uh, they they were asking me, uh, "You are a you are a transitional justice scholar. What should we do with uh, Saddam? We just uh, we just uh, got him." And I said, "You don't ask a Romanian what to do with the dictator." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, the the same with lustration. We advise lustration. Guess what? We had no idea that lustration was not the answer in the, uh, the context of Iraq, yeah? Because it was um, applied not only to the state agencies like uh, courts, the, the top uh, institutions of the, of the state, yeah? But it was extended to the army. You had 400,000 soldiers and officers who, pretty much overnight were told bye bye you you represent uh, the the nasty regime 
Yeah. Well, in that context, lustration works in Eastern Europe because in Eastern Europe, you had communism that took women out of the household. Yeah. But in the situation of Iraq, those soldiers, all of them men, yeah, they were the only breadwinner in the family. Why? Because in that context, you don't have the women working. So you didn't have 400,000 casualties to the lustration, debathification process in Iraq. You had many more of them down the road, uh, we look at ISIS and we say, oh, oh, look at that. And we couldn't anticipate it. No, actually, I, we, should have, we should have known. We should have, it, it was very much an, uh, a matter of anticipating it, yeah? It, but we didn't, you know, coming from Eastern Europe uh, with Eastern European assumptions, we didn't know that the structure of the population and the and of the labor, you know, was different there. We didn't. We didn't really. Uh, it, it was a secular regime. Yeah, Saddam's regime was a secular regime. So we thought, okay, it's you had the communist party here, you have the Ba'ath party here, you have Ceausescu here, you have. What's the difference? You know, well, it, it's a huge, huge difference. Um, a quick a quick question about the positionality of uh, Romanian Orthodox Church uh, towards, for example, the persecution of Milosevic. And so how, how there were was there any Orthodox Pan-Orthodox solidarity? In oh way? yeah, oh yeah, very much so. Very what, much. What, so. what happened to the Ceausescu clan? Did, did some of them integrate into the Orthodox Church? <laughs> was there shelter for for? Uh, I mean, it was just family, no, 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 but no, it was no, just no, so no. much rooted all over, I guess. And uh, you know, interesting that uh, to uh, as. Uh, okay, uh, let me let because I'm talking too much. Yeah, um, Ceausescu, the Ceausescu family, the, uh, the two Ceausescus were gunned down. Yeah, uh, the, the three children uh, died uh, in the 1990s. Yeah, uh, I think Valentin, I don't know if Valentin is uh, he alive or not, but uh, he doesn't matter, yeah, in any way. Uh, and the rest of them, they are very low profile, very low profile. Whether they were believers or not, uh, and we wrote about this, while Ceausescu's mother was alive, she was very religious, actually. Yeah, so she went to church and she was doing everything. And he, uh, at the beginning of his reign, he allowed, uh, he was not as opposed, let me put it this way. He was not as opposed to people going to church because his mother was going to church. Yeah. And then she but, stopped and that's it. But then, no, she died. <laughs> she died. <laughs> she died because she was very old. Yeah. Whether uh, the, the rest of them are religious, definitely the church is not championing their interests in any way. I've, I haven't read any statement ever that uh, they, they are a non entity. The Ceausescu's, they, but they are not like the Stalin in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I understand that the grandson looks uh, exactly like the mm. like Stalin, something mm. like this, and people. And church uses the narrative of Stalin. I mean, it's, it's a lot of linked with with nationalism. And in Serbia, it was yeah. interesting dynamics with regards how Serbian church was protective of the war criminals. And how how yeah, much of that, the lobby on the on the, on the, yes. on the level of church was kind of Serbian. Yeah. 
identity was kind yeah. of under question, etc. Yeah. yeah. So there was a, another uh, yeah, question. Yeah, Chris, uh, Christian. Yes, thank you so much for a very, very interesting presentation. I think you had a, through the first, through, through the whole uh, recent history of Romania, I'm trying to show the connection between the, the Romanian Orthodox Church. But also, I would like to flesh out because now we, yeah, we have scholars of both religion, but also we have an interest in nationalism and pentecostalism. Mm. Uh, if you would like to, to develop a bit this idea about the various uses of the past. For the national construction, in terms of how the church itself tries to reinvent a more marketable past for, for itself that can be used as well for the, for the purpose of constructing the Romanian, the Romanian nation. And here I would like to perhaps, if you want to, to, to talk us a bit more about how Orthodox religion and Romanian nationalism have been developing almost like a fused. So the question is about fusion of nationalism and, um, and orthodox and the usage of the past. And this will be the last question and for the listeners here. So we have three more minutes and yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God, where should I start? You know, I mean, well, uh, to be a good Romanian, uh, a good Romanian is an orthodox Romanian. Yeah. And this is uh, not only from my UNESCO, but uh, many, many others have, uh, uh, have um, voiced it and, uh, and the church promotes this kind of uh, uh, position that uh, you know a good Romanian is an Orthodox Romanian, yeah. And but I find what I find interesting. Uh, first of all, let me let me mention this um, nationalism in the position of the Orthodox Church. You can see it uh, when it comes to the uh, all, all the discussion about the national um, uh, salvation cathedral for example, um, or the discussion that uh, was uh, within the church regarding uh, homosexuality and the body, you know. Uh, I remember that um, uh, at one point, uh, um, one of the uh, Orthodox Church, uh, uh, you know, writers um, was... Um, uh, declared, uh, and it was written even in Lumina, that uh, um, even incest is preferable to homosexuality because at least it, um, um, it uh, retains the chance of procreation. You know, like shocking, shocking. Uh, uh, but that, uh, so you have nationalism kind of um, driving the um, the uh, church activity and being used by the Romanian Orthodox Church to claim for uh, for itself a privileged status compared to the minority churches. Yeah, but what I what I wanted to say is that I what I find more interesting are the contradictions in this thing because, for example, you know you you have. Uh, 
uh, a lot of the Romanian Orthodox discourse um, related to nationalism and how important the uh, orthodoxy is for the Romanian people are um, uh, taken from the Greek Catholic Church. The Greek Catholic Church was actually the one that, you know, championed the interests of the Romanians who were, um, you know, dispossessed and uh, persecuted or discriminated in Transylvania, yeah? Um, uh, or you have uh, uh, Shaguna, who was uh, one of one of the uh, reformist uh, figures, uh, metropolitan in the Orthodox Church. But uh, uh, curiously enough, the Transylvanian leaders of the Orthodox Church are marginalized com in comparison to the to the Southern and Moldovan. Um, uh, metropolitans of Romania. Yeah, uh, one of the canonical um, uh, requirements uh, uh, when you are uh, selecting the patriarch is that you take the metropolitan of Yash of Moldova. Yeah, not of Transylvania. Although Transylvania historically, yeah, did the work of empowering the Romanians. Or if you, if if Rom if the Romanian Orthodox Church contributed to nation building, it was through the Transylvanian branches. It was not through the Moldovan branches. And yet you have this requirement that in, in order to access, to, to, to be appointed at the highest level in Bucharest, you have to have, to have been the Metropolitan of Moldova, uh, which disregards Transylvania Completely, you know. So I, I think this this use and contradiction, you know, to all this narrative that is it's a centuries old narrative now that the Orthodox Church has contributed to nation building, you know. But the contradictions I find them so so interesting because I I don't see them discussed that much in the uh, in the literature and i think mm -hmm. they they not even the orthodox church leadership thinks about uh, them you know maybe you should involve the transylvanian branches more maybe they uh, because they are living in a tolerant and pluralistic area of romania maybe they can teach bucharest something of value yeah Thanks very much, and please uh, join us in virtually uh, applauding the professor and also for audience here, uh, which has the privilege of actually doing that. Um, thank you very much, everybody who was with us today, and uh, keep track of our seminar series on populism as well as uh, Christianity and nationalism and the conversation series. Um, thanks very much. And, thank you uh, very much. Here we have uh, a round of applause virtually here. So uh, all the best. Thank you.